Hi there. Welcome back. Thanks for 165k. This is on Midas Touch. Posted three hours ago. DOJ throws the whole book at Trump's most dangerous follower. Popok Legal AF. Kyle Fitzsimmons, come on down. You're going to be sentenced for a long time in federal prison for what you did to attack five federal police officers. Ask for nine, no, 15 and a half year sentence for January 6th Capitol rioter from Maine. And others on Jan 6th that you're going to be sentenced by Judge Rudy Contreras, an Obama appointee. <laughs> and the federal government, the Department of Justice, has filed its sentencing memo just on Friday, 48 pages, and it wants one of the highest sentences ever imposed on a Gen 6 defendant so far. They're seeking 15 and a half years of a sentence. Now, some might be thinking who follow this closely on the Midas Dutch Network and hot takes like mine right now. Well, I've heard higher sentences, and you have. Just recently, this 18. past week, we had an 18-year sentence actually imposed by a oh, federal keeper. judge, Judge Amit Mehta, against the leader and founder of the Oath Keepers. But that was for seditious conspiracy, something we haven't charged or seek to conviction on as an American jurisprudence justice system in, a, in 150 years. And that guy, who's, who's going away for a long, long time, for 18 years, in a federal prison, in jail yet? Um, he was also given by the judge in the sentencing calculation a domestic terrorist enhancement. Here... Kyle Fitzsimmons was convicted of seven felonies after a four-day bench trial, meaning just a judge, no jury. That was his choice. That was Fitzsimmons' choice. What's this about he terrorism? Want, he's a coward. He didn't Finally, want to go in fuckers. front of a jury. So he just decided to, uh, to, to, to take his luck and take his chances with federal judge Rudy Contreras, as I said, an Obama appointee who himself had a long and illustrious career as a U.S. attorney which is exactly with the Department of Justice prosecutors. That's exactly where they work. So you can imagine how that trial went. Uh, seven felony convictions, including many, many assaults on law enforcement. I mean, this guy, a butcher, and we're going to put up a picture, I'm not making this up, who dressed as a butcher um, at the Jan 6th defendants, uh, at the Jan 6th insurrection. And it wasn't hard to find this defendant because he <laughs> literally wore a butcher jacket embroidered with his name Kyle because he was a butcher named Kyle from Lebanon, wow. Maine. He tried to recruit people on social media to join him to attack the Capitol on Jan 6. He was the only one that heard the clarion call of Donald Trump, made his way down to, um, uh, to the Capitol, and then did battle in what one law enforcement uh, uh, official, one uh, sergeant, who was brutally beaten by Kyle Fitzsimmons to the point where he's no longer able to be in law enforcement. He was so injured. He described it as a medieval battle scene. Sounds like something out of like Game of Thrones. At the Western Terrace Tunnel. I've talked a lot about over the last six months years. Right here, the sentencing for Jan 6 defendants. Many of them, because that is where the most violent attacks on law enforcement happened.
why aren't they charged as domestic terrorists? Why are they getting such lenient sentences? At the West Terrace Tunnel. For those that don't know exactly where that is, every presidential inauguration for the last nine inaugurations takes place with the West Tunnel archway in the back in the backdrop. It is a symbolic representation of power of the presidency and of the peaceful transfer of power. And that's where these Jan 6 people, it'd be like battling at the feet of Lady Liberty, the Statue of Liberty, if you're trying to tear down liberty and democracy. That's where they chose to battle. Picture this, 30 police officers, 3-0, linked arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, protecting the glass doors behind them, because if they, if that line didn't hold, and the dozens and dozens Sounds pretty lenient to me to uh, give him 15 and a half years for nearly killing at least one police officer. Dozens and dozens of insurrectionists, including one of the most, if not the most, aggressive and violent, Kyle Fitzsimmons, broke through that line, got to the back, got through the glass doors and up the stairs. It, they would be inside the belly of the Capitol, right? one of the most vulnerable areas, and be able to get inside and attack all sorts of elected officials and staff. They were still making their way out to safety, being led by Capitol Police and Metro Police. Um, and so that is where this guy did battle. And for those that wonder, not really the Midas Touch people and the people that follow me on YouTube, but others, but others. What this guy did that was so bad, why is he sitting in jail, pretrial detention, uh, you know, awaiting his sentencing? Why is he a threat to democracy? Well, I'll just give you three of the five attacks that he made on law enforcement. Um, he, first of all, he was carrying, you might see it in the photo, besides his butcher outfit, okay, he was also carrying an unstrung bow, a giant wooden instrument of, of, of weaponry, a weapon with him. There's pictures of him with it. There's also pictures of him with a bloody forehead and a giant smile on his face, like he was in some sort of demented rugby scrum that he was leading instead of what he was really doing, which... He was a treasonous um, insurrectionist that was trying to overthrow democracy. So he, he um, threw a wooden spear at an a, uh, officer and hit a Metro officer, Sarah Beaver, in her head. Oh, my God. He then... Um, swiped at the face, injuring uh, detect uh, Metro Detective Fusan Nguyen in his face. He oh then wrenched God. Sergeant Gonell's shoulder so hard that Sergeant Gonell could no longer serve in law enforcement. 
that's how injured he is. And um, that's just three out of the top five things he did as a... Uh, as he battled, literally battled, hand-to-hand combat against law enforcement to try to overthrow democracy. He's got the wrong judge for all of this as well. He's got uh, Rudy Contreras, who's not going to brook any fools and is not going to be light on this particular defendant at all. Um... I don't know if it's going to be exactly 15 and a half years, but it's going to be awful close to it, and it's going to fit quite neatly into these last two weeks where there's already been an 18-year sentence, a 14-year sentence, and two 10-year sentences. This will fit right into that mix. We're going to follow this type of sentencing, this type of recommendations by the Department of Justice, and the facts behind each of these people. And one last thing, before I even leave the hot take, I'd be remiss, which dovetails with another hot take that I did earlier today. Fitzsimmons is trying to raise money, (laughs) proclaiming his innocence, that he is some sort of POW, that he's not able you know, to get a fair shake in our justice system because of biased prosecutors, even though he's been convicted by the judge and he's about to be sentenced, showing no contrition whatsoever and trying to raise money and has raised $25,000 already off the backs of this lie that he's innocent, that he didn't do anything wrong, that he's a political prisoner, that he's a POW. You know, all the other tired lines, tired lies that are being promoted by the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the MAGA right-wing Republicans, and the Jim Jordans about these dangers to society. Fitzsimmons is trying to capitalize it by raising money. So in response, the Department of Justice is going after the money that these Jan 6 people have collected from their gullible followers, their donors, lying to them, and taking it back by way of a fine or uh, other ways of clawback. So they're going after his money, uh, uh, going after Fitzsimmons' money raised on the back of a lie in their sentencing memorandum. They're seeking uh, a major fine against them as well. Sentencing will be uh, probably the next uh, month or so. I'll follow it closely on Legal AF, the Wednesday and Saturday podcast that I co-founded and co-anchor, also only on the Midas Touch Network. We sit at that intersection of lawn and you. That's politics in a way that really nobody else is doing right now. And we bring it to you in hot takes and in content just like this one. If you like this one and you learn something. from what I'm telling you. Give me a thumbs up. I'll continue to bring this content to you. And you can comment. I I often read the comments. It helps make the show, the program, and the delivery of this information better. And you can follow me on all things social media at MS Popak. This is Michael Popak, Legal AF reporting. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report. Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch, to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now.
Lincoln Project. I'm, I'm uh, Occupy Democrats. I'm tweeting. And uh, who's Candace Owens? That sounds familiar. Daily Wildcat. Fuck is King of Mars. Women's Health Justice. Democrats. Justice. Justice, no peace. Brennan Center. Who else? Mother's Touch. Resign and face press. Resign and face prosecution. So it says, uh, at sign, Gov. DeSantis, can go fuck your F yourself. You are unfit to leave. Resign now and face prosecution. The Justice Department charges them effort with human trafficking and kidnapping. And remove them from office at once. Do your fucking job. Civil rights, criminal division, public health. Taking a screenshot and uh, Facebook. button. Okay, so now I'm tweeting it. What's going on up there? Recall how we said we would impeach Biden if we took the house. Why would we do that? He's one of us. Huh? Authentic conservative. We're talking about authentic conservative. At this point in Trump's presidency, Democrats were already having impeachment hearings within months of taking this. Okay. This is Michael Popak, Legal AF. Kyle Fitzsimmons, come on down. That you're going to be <laughs> sentenced for a long time in federal prison for what you did to attack five police officers and others on Jan 6th. That you're going to be sentenced by. 
Judge Rudy Contreras, an Obama appointee, and the federal government, the Department of Justice, has filed its sentencing memo just on Friday, 48 pages, and it wants one of the highest sentences ever imposed on a Gen 6 defendant so far. They're seeking 15 and a half years of a sentence. Now, some might be thinking who follow this closely on the Midas Touch Network and hot takes like mine right now, well, I've heard higher sentences, and you have. Just recently, this past week, we had an 18-year sentence actually imposed by a federal judge, Judge Amit Mehta, against the leader and founder of the Oath Keepers. But that was for seditious conspiracy, something we haven't charged or seek to conviction on as an American jurisprudence justice system in, a, in 150 years. And that guy, who's, who's going away for a long, long time, for 18 years, in a federal prison, um, he was also given by the judge in the sentencing calculation a domestic terrorist enhancement. Here, Kyle Fitzsimmons was convicted of seven felonies after a four-day bench trial, meaning just a judge, no jury. That was his choice. That was Fitzsimmons' choice because he didn't want to, he was a coward. He didn't want to go in front of a jury. So he just decided to, to, uh, to, to, to take his luck and take his chances with federal judge Rudy Contreras, as I said, an Obama appointee who himself had a long and illustrious career as a U.S. attorney which is exactly what the Department of Justice prosecutors, that's exactly where they work. So you can imagine how that trial went. Uh, seven felony convictions, including many, many assaults on law enforcement. I mean, this guy, a butcher, and we're going to put up a picture, I'm not making this up, who dressed as a butcher um, at the Jan 6th defendants, uh, at the Jan 6th insurrection, and it wasn't hard to find this defendant because he literally wore a butcher jacket embroidered with his name Kyle, because he was a butcher named Kyle from Lebanon, Maine. He tried to recruit people on social media to join him to attack the Capitol on Jan 6th. He was the only one that heard the clarion call of Donald Trump, made his way down to um, uh, to the Capitol, and then did battle in what one law enforcement uh, uh, official, one uh, sergeant, who was brutally beaten by Kyle Fitzsimmons to the point where he's no longer able to be in law enforcement. He was so injured. He described it as a medieval battle scene. Sounds like something out of like Game of Thrones. At the Western Terrace Tunnel. I've talked a lot about over the last six months or a year, the sentencing for Jan 6 defendants, many of them, because that is where the most violent attacks on law enforcement happened, were at the West Terrace Tunnel. For those that don't know exactly where that is, every presidential inauguration for the last nine inaugurations takes place with the West Tunnel archway in the back in the backdrop. It is a symbolic representation of power of the presidency and of the peaceful transfer of power and that's where these Jan 6 people it'd be like battling at the feet of Lady Liberty the Statue of Liberty if you're trying to tear down liberty and democracy that's where they chose to battle picture this 30 police officers 3-0 linked arm in arm shoulder to shoulder protecting the glass doors behind them because if they if that line didn't hold 
and the dozens and dozens and dozens of insurrectionists, including one of the most, if not the most, aggressive and violent, Kyle Fitzsimmons, broke through that line, got to the back, got through the glass doors, and up the stairs. They would be inside the belly of the Capitol, right? One of the most vulnerable areas, and be able to get inside and attack all sorts of elected officials and staff. They were still making their way out to safety, being led by Capitol Police and Metro Police. Um, and so that is where this guy did battle. And for those that wonder, not really the Midas Touch people and the people that follow me on YouTube, but others, but others, what this guy did that was so bad, why is he sitting in jail, pretrial detention, uh, you know, awaiting his sentencing? Why is he a threat to democracy? Well, I'll just give you three of the five attacks that he made on law enforcement. Um, he, first of all, he was carrying, you might see it in the photo, besides his butcher outfit, okay, he was also carrying an unstrung bow, a giant wooden instrument of, of, of weaponry, a weapon with him. There's pictures of him with it. There's also pictures of him with a bloody forehead and a giant smile on his face, like he was in some sort of demented rugby scrum that he was leading instead of what he was really doing, which was he was a treasonous um, insurrectionist that was trying to overthrow democracy. So he, he um, threw a wooden spear at a, a uh, officer and hit a Metro officer, Sarah Beaver, in her head. He then um, swiped at the face, injuring uh, detect uh, Metro Detective Fusan Nguyen in his face. He then wrenched Sergeant Gonell's shoulder so hard that Sergeant Gonell could no longer serve in law enforcement. That's how injured he is. And um, that's just three out of the top five things he did as a um, as he battled, literally battled, hand-to-hand -hand combat against law enforcement to try to overthrow democracy. He's got the wrong judge for all of this as well. He's got uh, Rudy Contreras, who's not going to brook any fools and is not going to be light on this particular defendant at all. Um, I don't know if it's going to be exactly 15 and a half years, but it's going to be awful close to it, and it's going to fit quite neatly into these last two weeks where there's already been an 18-year sentence, a 14-year sentence, and two 10-year sentences. This will fit right into that mix. We're going to follow this type of sentencing, this type of recommendations by the Department of Justice, and the facts behind each of these people. And one last thing, before I even leave the hot take, I'd be remiss, which dovetails with another hot take that I did earlier today. Fitzsimmons is trying to raise money, proclaiming his innocence, that he is some sort of POW, that he's Hi. not able you know, to get a fair shake in our justice system because of biased prosecutors even though he's been convicted by the judge and he's about to be sentenced showing no contrition whatsoever and trying to raise money and has raised $25,000 already off the backs of this lie that he's innocent, that he didn't do anything wrong, that he's a political prisoner, that he's a POW. You know, all the other tired lines, 
tired lies that are being promoted by the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the MAGA right-wing Republicans, and the Jim Jordans about these dangers to society. Fitzsimmons is trying to capitalize it by raising money. So in response, the Department of Justice is going after the money that these Jan 6 people have collected from their gullible followers, their donors, lying to them and taking it back by way of a fine or uh, other ways of clawback. So they're going after his money, uh, Fit, uh, going after Fitzsimmons' money raised on the back of a lie in their sentencing memorandum. They're seeking uh, a major fine against them as well. Sentencing will be uh, probably the next uh, month or so. I'll follow it closely on Legal AF, the Wednesday and Saturday podcast that I co-founded and co-anchor, also only on the Midas Touch Network. We sit at that intersection of law and U.S. politics in a way that really nobody else is doing right now. And bring it content just like this one. If you like this one and you learn something from what I'm telling you, give me a thumbs up. I'll continue to bring this content to you. And you can comment. I, I often read the comments. It helps make the show, the program, and the delivery of this information better. And you can follow me on all things social media at MS Popak. This is Michael Popak, Legal AF Reporting. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report? And continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch, to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now. I have a suggestion for Popak. <clears throat> because I clearly remember the day of Remember, complicit Um, 
Instagram, uh, Instagram chat. Justice Department. Justice Democrats, Washington Post, Democrats, might as well send it to a bunch of people. Uh, Young Democratic Socialists, NWPC, Colbert Late Show, CNN Politics, Women's March, ASU Dems, Hispanic Caucus, The Atlantic. Politico, Texas Ducking Politics, New York Times. Okay, great. Friendly socialists. <laughs> okay. Outside. Okay, too many chickens spoiled abroad. Go on. Go on, too many chickens. Mean cards on my floor. Fuck off. Yeah, very funny. Get. Go outside. Go play outside. Freaks. Okay. Nice touch. Major deal secured. Jack closing in. Live Trump's indictment. Watch and Biden announced March McCarthy and MAGA. Um, streamed 15 hours ago. Did I see that or not? Welcome to the Midas Touch Memorial Day podcast. We have a lot to discuss. First, President Biden outmaneuvered and outnegotiated the MAGA Republicans and struck a historic deal in principle with Kevin McCarthy to raise the debt ceiling. Is this deal perfect? No, but it keeps all of President Joe Biden's major priorities that help hardworking Americans and it allows our economy to function and to keep on growing. Also, MAGA Republicans are livid at this deal. That's all you need to know. So what happens next? We will break it down here. Next up, we've got special counsel Jack Smith wrapping up his charging decisions. We're learning in connection with the ongoing criminal investigations into Donald Trump's theft of thousands of government records. Also, Trump's attorneys are dropping like flies. And we all know what MAGA stands for. Make attorneys get attorneys. MAGA Republican Ken Paxton probably needs multiple attorneys. He was impeached this weekend by the Texas Republican-controlled House of Representatives, which also ignored the social media ranting and whining of Donald Trump and Carrie Lake and Marjorie Taylor Greene and the rest of that MAGA criminal cartel telling them not to 
to impeach their criminal <laughs> buddy. Criminal Next cartel, up, nice. a trial before the... Comment too. Like that, he's talked about fascist idiocracy. That's exactly that. Fascist idiocracy. Texas Senate, where Ken Fascist Paxton's cosplay. wife, Angela <laughs> Paxton, interestingly enough, is a state senator. And do you know, this is a weird fact, the song that she sings all the time, like, she's known for just walking around and singing the song where she goes, I'm a pistol-packing mama whose husband sued Obama. I'm a pistol-packing mama whose husband sued Obama. Yes, yes I am. That's what she ran on. Well, actually, you're the wife of an impeached, cheating husband who covered up his affair by getting his mistress a job for a real estate developer by accepting Oof. bribes. Big yikes. Damn. Ron DeSantis nice. continues to try to out-fascist Donald Trump. His <laughs> entire campaign over this past weekend has been focused on... This is his main issue. He will destroy the left. He will crush them. He will crush the woke. He doesn't say anything about how he's going to help the people. And his new thing, too, is he's giving these press conferences in front of, like, ships and, like, military equipment. And dude, he is a total, total clown. This is the Midas Touch podcast. And on this Memorial Day, we'd like to take this opportunity, of course, to honor those who have made the ultimate sacrifice for our country. Brett and Jordy, how are you doing today? It's an important day for our country, Memorial Day, and I think it's important that we do reflect on the brave men and women in the armed forces who gave the ultimate sacrifice on this day. Um, I, you know, it's really makes you think a lot about the meaning of patriotism, in, in my opinion, and the meaning of what it means to truly love your country. And in watching these battles that we've seen in the past few days between Democrats and Republicans over the debt ceiling, in watching the messaging that we see come from people like President Biden, and the messaging contrasted with that of which we're seeing from people like Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump, and these other MAGA Republicans, it really shows you that they are really just working for two almost entirely different countries. And you see President Biden taking this, uh, this perspective that he's supposed to, that he is a president for all people in the country, while you see these MAGA Republicans, you see Ron DeSantis, you see Donald Trump trying to further divide the country, further drive a wedge between the country, and really try to make one, even more than half of the country, the enemy. 
which I think is so dangerous and speaks to their authoritarian tendencies. So I'm excited to show, uh, you know, I think on the show a lot, we show these contrasts, these contrasts in leadership, these contrasts in messaging. So I'm excited to get into it. I hope everybody, if you had a long weekend, has been able to enjoy the long weekend. Um, I know it's been, uh, you know, quite the busy uh, year. I cannot believe that it's Memorial Day, just in general. I cannot believe that it is May 29th. How crazy is that? But always good to be here with the brothers. You know we don't take a break here on the Midas Touch Network. (laughs) Jordy, how you doing? I'm doing well, B. You just said that and put that also perfectly, so I'm going to comment on Ben singing in that intro. Ben, I thought Brett was the vocalist of the brothers. That was really impressive. Like, you had a beat, you had rhythm. That was some good country, Ben. Well, I appreciate it. Not the greatest song in the world to uh, display my my talents there. Very but true. Speaking on that theme, Brett, that is what she ran her campaign on. She ran the campaign that she's a pistol-packing mama whose husband sued Obama. And that's that was the message, not here's what I'm doing for the people Here's what uh, here's here's what we're fighting for. Here's what I'm delivering. You know, and as we talk about the debt ceiling negotiation, one of the key things was President Biden was fighting to preserve and to protect things that benefit hardworking Americans. And the only issues where Kevin McCarthy and MAGA Republicans were focused on was how do we screw over the most vulnerable who have no one to really fight for them and also just how do we screw over the hard-working Americans look if they were going to be serious about these conversations right maybe the first area I would be like you know what giving tax write-offs to billionaires for their yachts and for their private jets Maybe we start there. Maybe if we want to figure out how we can bring more revenue into our treasury, maybe we start focusing on things like that. Maybe we close the loopholes in our tax system so that billionaires simply pay their fair share. How about we start with the baseline that they pay the fair share? It's not even that they're saying, oh, they shouldn't pay more. Their fight, the MAGA Republicans, is that billionaires should not pay their fair share. They should use all the loopholes in the world that they could avail themselves of, which you can't, which hardworking Americans can't, and that should be protected. Like, like what? And where the MAGA Republicans want to focus on, and with their high-fiving each other, even though it's definitely not a victory, because as we go through what this ultimate deal was, like, we've increased the work requirements for the SNAP program, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, from 49 to 54. And they're like high-fiving each other. I mean, President Biden did something brilliant there, because what he realized is that the most vulnerable within that age group are likely going to be veterans and individuals who are homeless, right? So what Biden did was to capture that same group that could potentially be harmed there. He expanded the eligibility of these programs to homeless individuals and to veterans who never before were able to get it so easily. So it's actually an expansion of the program 
Um, but it allows Kevin McCarthy to go high five his base and say they screwed over poor people. Like I just that's that's, that's, that's what they consider. That's what they consider a, a W. I mean, it reminds me of when we literally saw Ted Cruz and the the Republicans fist bump each other after voting down the PACT Act in the Senate. I mean, they've done it literally, so it's no surprise that they're now doing it figuratively over this uh, bill right here for the debt ceiling. Um, but I think what we saw throughout this process was we saw Kevin McCarthy uh, put on a whole lot of false bravado. Uh, he, he put on this whole kind of strong positioning where, you know, he wasn't going to cave an inch and he was going to cut all these programs and this was going to be the one opportunity where he was going to single-handedly torpedo the entire Biden agenda with massive cuts to government spending, massive cuts to Biden's efforts to fund the IRS, massive cuts to Biden's environmental efforts, massive cuts to Biden's efforts to help those most vulnerable in the country. First off, once again, let's go back. Let's just think about the things that they are were hoping to do. I mean, that's pretty messed up. Um, but Kevin promised his people that he was going to do all that and more. He set these ridiculously high expectations for his side, and he could not deliver on any of them. He was not able to deliver on them at all. He set the bar so high that truly, unless he led our country into catastrophic default on the debt and completely destroyed the entire global economy, I don't think any of the people who support him, I, I don't think any of those MAGA Republicans would have been happy any other way unless he let the entire economy explode. So he, he gave himself these impossible expectations going into this whole process that he inevitably could not live up to. And what did he get at the end of all of it? He got honestly less, I would say, than he would have even got if he just waited till the, the normal appropriations process. Like, he played this so incorrectly, and really, I, I mean, I know Biden doesn't want to say this because Biden is, is tactful and Biden wants to make sure this thing gets over the finish line, but Kevin McCarthy kind of got his ass handed to him here. I'll, I'll say it. It's our show. We're talking with our people. I, I, I mean, this was overall a, a bad look for Kevin McCarthy to put up such a fight and ultimately just fold. He, he clowned himself. He clowned the House Republicans in Congress. It was really just a bad look. It showed how misguided their priorities are. And at the end of the day, the Biden agenda that actually helps Americans is fully protected. Mm -hmm. And we actually got an expansion of some other key programs, which I thought was actually kind of a, a brilliant thing at the end of the day. So you what's, go into what's the bad here, right? I mean, look, when people watch the Midas Touch Network, they know that they are getting the good, the bad, and the ugly. So rather than do all the high-fiving first, let's talk about what the bad is here, right? And if you were to look at it objectively, you would say for the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, which is critical for some of the most vulnerable people in our country, the work requirements for SNAP under this deal went from the age 49 to 54. But as I stated, President Biden was actually able to negotiate an overall expansion of SNAP, reducing the overall number of vulnerable people of all ages subject to, to SNAP's time limits. So actually a win there. 
The other thing, if you were going to say, well, this is what's being reported as bad. I've seen these articles. Progressives are pissed about this deal. I, I don't know who's pushing that narrative or who's giving some of the false information, but one of the things I see there is, well, student loan debt collection is going to start taking place within 60 days of the bill coming into law. By the way, that was going to happen anyway. And let's be clear, President Biden put forward the student debt relief program to extinguish student loan debt for millions and millions of borrowers. The Republicans challenge that. That is currently before the United States Supreme Court. This deal does not change what Biden put forward and what the Republicans have challenged. What the deal says is what was going to happen anyway, as the coronavirus emergency powers have been revoked, as we've established through law, maybe not through actuality, but through the lawmaking process that we're out of a pandemic emergency situation, the debt collection was going to take place within about 60 days of June anyway. So there isn't any change there from what was actually going to happen. I know Republicans are high-fiving that. Look, at some point, student debt collections are going to start again. Like, it has to start again at some point. And it's been deferred for a significant period of time. But let's not forget that Biden put forward the plan to extinguish the debt. All of the Republicans challenge that. That's still at the Supreme Court. If Biden prevails in the Supreme Court, all that debt will still be extinguished up to the $10,000 or $20,000, depending on your specific circumstance. Jordy. Ben, I just wanted to say, when we were talking about Kevin McCarthy before, I mean, it's just such a development of, and representation, I should say, actually, of these MAGA Republicans. Just threat, all show, no substance. I'm going to talk this big game, and then when push comes to shove, I'm going to be shoved over a little bit here in will of people who actually want to dig deep and do the work, i.e. President Biden and the Democrats. So I started with the bad. Let me tell you about the good, because there's a lot of good here. The deal protects all of President Biden's legislative accomplishments, including the bipartisan infrastructure law, the Chips and Science Act, the PACT Act, the Inflation Reduction Act, which is the most aggressive action legislative accomplishment to start again at some point. And it's been deferred for a significant period of time. Emergency powers have been revoked as we've established through law, maybe not through actuality, but through the lawmaking process that we're out of a pandemic emergency situation. The debt collection was going to take place within about 60 days of June anyway. So there isn't any change there from what was actually going to happen. I know Republicans are high-fiving that. Look, at some point, student debt, the debt collection was going to take place within about 60 days of June anyway. So there isn't any change there. From from what was actually going to happen. I know Republicans are high-fiving that. Look, at some point, student debt collections are going to start again. Like, it has to start again at some point. 
and it's been deferred for a significant period of time. But let's not forget that Biden put forward the plan to extinguish the debt. All of the Republicans challenge that. That's still at the Supreme Court. If Biden prevails in the Supreme Court, all that debt will still be extinguished up to the $10,000 or $20,000, depending on your specific circumstance. Jordy. Ben, I just wanted to say, when we were talking about Kevin McCarthy, but through the lawmaking process that we're out of a pandemic emergency situation, the debt collection Check was going to take title. place and within about again. 60 days of June anyway. So there isn't any change there from what was actually going to happen. I know Republicans are high-fiving that. Look, at some point, student debt collections are going to start again. Like, it has to aggressive action in our history to tackle the climate crisis, investment in environmental justice, and creates millions of clean energy manufacturing jobs as part of this negotiation. President Biden beat back cuts to Medicaid that would have put health coverage at risk for over 21 million people. It did. It still protected the overall student debt relief plan, which is currently before the United States Supreme Court. McCarthy asked for a 22% reduction in non-defense discretionary spending. That would have been a significant cut of government programs. He got no reduction at all. Instead, spending will remain at current levels. This deal is also for two years, meaning that we won't have to revisit this as we head into the 2024 election. And this is what happened over the weekend. A reporter asked President Biden during a press conference we we covered live here on the Midas Touch Network, what do you say to members of your own party who say you made too many concessions in the deal? Play this video. Mr. President, what do you say to members of your own party who say you made too many concessions in this deal? They'll find I didn't. And this was President Biden from, I was like, you'll find I did it, so good. This is from President Biden from earlier in the day where he's like, you know, I, I hear a lot of people saying like, why are, why am I not out there spiking the football and celebrating right now? Here, play this clip. I remember the members, I spoke to McConnell, I spoke to uh, a whole bunch of people. And it feels good, we'll see when the vote starts. And look, one of the things that I hear some of you guys saying is, why doesn't Biden say what a good deal it is? Why would Biden be saying what a good deal is before the vote? You think that's going to help me get a pass? No. That's why you guys don't bargain very well. Anyway. Truly a master negotiator. I'll talk about that in just a moment. Here a reporter asks, asks President Biden, what is the message to House Democrats that have reservations about, about this bill? Play this clip. What is the message to House Democrats who have reservations about this uh, compromise bill? Talk to me. Mr. President, what would you tell them? I'm not going to tell you. Why not? Because you guys all get on and say, tell them what a good deal is. How about, how about this is a 100% deal for the Democrats? You think it helped me get a pass? Well, who's got the better deal? Did we, who, who, you think it's going to help me get a pass? Come Mr. President, so good. And meanwhile, you've got Peter Ducey asking Biden, would you consider a part? Stupidest question. Just so stupid, these questions. They're all stupid. Like, the, the, all, everybody who. If you notice, though, that every question is trying to get an answer that they could position a story as yes. this incredibly major conflict. They want. 
Oh shit. Trump's overwhelmed by new legal strategy in J6 federal civil cases five hours ago. Michael Popak, we've got an unprecedented level of cooperation between two cases against Jan 6 defendants and Donald Trump, civil cases in D.C. Circuit Court seeking damages for the families and for the actual police officers, Metro Police the D.C. police, and Capitol police. Now, the Capitol police case has gotten a lot of attention because it's led by the, uh, by the uh, widow, the girlfriend of Officer Sicknick, and that case is in front of Judge Mehta. But now we have new evidence that there is cooperation between that case and the case involving the Metro police, who are the plaintiffs, in a case against John Schaefer, one of the founders of the Oath Keepers. I mean, we hear a lot about Stuart Rhodes, but the other founder of the Oath Keeper, John Schaefer, was the first Jan 6 defendant to plead guilty and cooperated with law enforcement against the Oath Keepers um, in particular. He got very little fanfare, but he pled guilty very early on, avoided the seditious conspiracy count, but of course is now being sued civilly appropriately along with 36 other right-wing militia who were involved in Jan 6 by the Metro Police, the D.C. Police and their families who suffered injuries and medical expenses and hospitalization bills and other pain and suffering at the hands of the Jan Jan 6 defendant. So he is a defendant, this John Schaefer, former member of a heavy metal band. You can't make this stuff up. Um... He's being sued there, but it's now been revealed that the lawyers who are handling the case of the Metro Police and their families against these 36, including John Schaefer, in front of Judge Amit Mehta, are cooperating with another case that's in front of Judge Amit Mehta, brought by Officer Sicknick's widow and six or seven other police officers, and that one has Donald Trump as a defendant for his role in promoting the the insurrection, the attempted overthrow of democracy to try to cling to power in a coordinated conspiratorial fashion. Now that case we reported on on the Midas Touch Network back when, when Judge Mehta already denied Donald Trump's motion to uh, dismiss the case, claiming immunity and claiming there was no conspiracy, and the judge says, no, nah, I'm letting this case go to a jury. That judge made a, The same judge made it, by the way, who has handed out three of the highest Jan 6 prison sentences so far, including uh, the 18-year sentence that was just handed out to Stuart Rhodes, John Schaefer's co-founder of the Oath Keepers. And Judge, we don't, we're not done with Judge Mehta. Judge Mehta not only presides over the John Schaefer case, where he's a defendant with 36 others by the Metro Police, in the case brought by Sicknick's loved ones against Donald Trump and others, including those in conspiracy with John Schaefer. He's got that second case. And then he also handled Judge Mehta, the sentencing of John Schaefer, when he pled guilty. So if you had Meta, Meta, Meta at home on your bingo card, you'd be a winner. And this just shows you how tight and coordinated 
thank God, the victims and their um, and their counsel are to try to get justice here. We now have learned that they are sharing the lawyers and the plaintiffs in two separate cases that are not yet and probably won't be consolidated in an official sense, a formal sense, meaning a judge can consolidate cases for various purposes involving different parties or the same parties. Generally, it's the same same or similar parties or coming out of the same operative facts, right? And he can consolidate it either for discovery purposes, the exchange of information pre-trial between parties, including document exchange and depositions. He can do it for trial or both. That's how consolidation happens. Or the lawyers can sort of work out an informal cooperation and consolidation arrangement, which it looks like the lawyers for the, the D.C. police and the lawyers for the Capitol Police are working together as a fulcrum against not only John Schaefer, but Donald Trump in sharing deposition and other discovery material, and they've disclosed that to Judge Mehta, who presides over both cases. So that's a good thing, that they are working together, they're sharing information, they're, they're, they're learning, it's almost like AI, right? They're learning new information every day, they're sharing it with each other, they're going to coordinate depositions and deposition strategy. It makes for a stronger case, it strengthens their hand. I'm talking as a 32-year trial lawyer. It strengthens their hand and their ability to present their case ultimately to a jury, even if it's two separate juries. So that's the latest reporting. John Schaefer sits at the center of it as the, as the founder of uh, Oath Keepers, but one that folded early, right, like a cheap card table, the first defendant to take a plea and get sentenced and cooperate with the government. And he did so against the ones that were just uh, sentenced this past week by Judge Mehta for their particular trial. That John Schaefer at the center, document exchange between the D.C. police and the Metro police in their separate cases, but related cases in terms of what they're seeking, damages, except just to, just to keep it straight, the case involving the, the, um, the uh, Capitol Police has Donald Trump as an official defendant, and the case of the Metro Police does not, although they're sharing information in discovery and depositions between them. We will continue to follow what happens with both of those trials. They were filed in 2021, one in the summer, one at the end of the year, and people may have forgotten about it because we've been focused so much at this intersection of U.S. politics and law on the criminal cases. But there are civil cases that may be, in some instances, equally important to get justice because civil cases can go after money and they can compensate people for loss and injury. And that has to happen in this society as well. I follow it, Michael Popak, on a podcast that I co-anchored and co-founded, speaking of co-founded, called Legal AF, also on the Midas Touch Network. We do it on Wednesdays, we do it on Saturdays, um, and you can follow it wherever you, you, you get your podcast from, and you can watch us live on YouTube when we actually record them on Wednesdays and Saturdays. Um, if you like this hot take of the content and you learned something during it, give me a thumbs up, leave me a comment, it helps improve...
the content and the way I deliver it. And you can follow me on all things social media at MS Popak. This is Michael Popak, Legal AF Reporting. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch, to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now.